The holiday season is now upon us. The year is absolutely flying by, and the news never stops. That's why we at the DSR Network have expanded our programming to cover even more of the world's events. We hope you will consider supporting our work by becoming a member. Members enjoy an ad-free listening experience, bonus content for virtually all of our shows, an invitation to the member-only Slack community, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of November, you can take 50% off the membership price for the first month. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code STUFFING at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code STUFFING. Thank you very much for your support. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your usual co-host, David Rothkopf, uh, for our discussion that takes place each and every week at this time on defense issues and technology. I am not going to be around for most of this podcast, but you are in luck because John Wolfstall is. So right now, let me turn it over to John and his guest, Dr. Asha George, who's the executive director of the Bipartisan Commission on Biodefense. She served in the U.S. House of Representatives as a senior professional staffer and subcommittee staff director at the House Committee on Homeland Security. Well, thanks, David. Uh, it's a pleasure to be back on We're All Gonna Die Radio. And normally, uh, I have a full week, and then I get into the podcast, and I have to put myself in the doom and gloom mode. But this week, I've been prepping for this um, because I've been in Chicago the last couple of days and meeting with my fellow members of the Science and Security Board at the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, where we sit around all day and talk about how horrible the world is and then figure out what we're going to do with the doomsday clock. Uh, and so Ash and I have uh, just spent the last couple of days doing that, but we thought it'd be really useful to talk about what we've been thinking about. And, um, you know, Asha, I'm the nuclear geek. And as you know, from the last couple of days, I'm not shy about talking about all things nuclear. Um, but I, of course, am fascinated by the other people on the board and all they know, because you're all really smart. And you know so much more than I will ever on the bio side from your day job and your career. And we didn't, it, it was interesting. We didn't, you know, I think it's dominated by nuclear discussion because it's the atomic scientists. But I'm really curious, a, a couple of questions I want to get into. One, you know, does it ever, like, how do you feel about being on the board of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists? In, in your world, is that sort of odd since you have a bio background? And then also, I just want to talk a little bit about how you see the world these days on, on, the, on biological advances, um, what sort of challenges and opportunities we're facing, because um, I'm going to get smarter, and then um, maybe we'll, we'll give our listeners a few gleams of hope. So t- tell me how you feel about being an atomic scientist. Well, <laughs> um, it's interesting in the bio realm. Uh, while bio has been around for a long time, the use of biological weapons most certainly precedes the use of nuclear weapons and the development of nuclear uh, you know, power and energy. Um, 
it it has the field has certainly when it comes to national security has been dominated uh, in terms of particular threats by the nuclear threat. So what winds up happening is I wind up joining boards or organizations, working for organizations that have the word nuclear in their title. And then there's sort of a comma or a parentheses and then bio program. Right. So, um, I, I, so, so we should change the magazine. The, we should change the magazine from Bulletin Atomic Scientist to Bulletin Atomic Scientist, comma, and bio too. And bio, yeah. And bio and everything else. Um, so I, I really like being on the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, parentheses, bio, uh, because, um, you know, look, it has a very long history and the issues that we take up. Yes, we do wind up talking probably an inordinate amount about nuclear um, but it's where it started as part of the history. And there's a good, you know, there's a good thing that comes from reflecting on the people who originally established the bulletin and thinking about why they did it and what were they, what, what were their issues? What were they thinking about? Yes. When they first started, they were talking about obviously atomic scientists, um, and at- atomic science, uh, but you know the the baseline questions: What's going on with technology? Do we have scary technology that the public doesn't know everything about, or needs to understand more about? What are the pros? What are the cons? What are the benefits? What are the consequences? And can we communicate that? To me, that's what the bulletin is all about. So the fact that the atomic sciences part is uh, tagged on there, it you know it doesn't bother me. I think it's, uh, I think it's okay. I think it's all right. Yeah. It, it's, um, I mean, I, my family thinks it's, um, a poor choice on behalf of the bulletin to have me on the board, oh. uh, knowing my science scores from high school and college. So it, it talking about, um, as you're looking at the bio landscape these days, like, you know, going into the clock setting this year, like what were the major things on your mind? What were the things um, you you really felt were important for us to focus on in the conversation? Well, the thing about the biological threat uh, is that as with organisms, it's always evolving, growing, mutating, changing. Um, so there's always something new. Every year, as you know, I come in and say, okay, so this is what's happening. And I don't think I'm ever repeating myself. Uh, but this year, you know, we, we have a few, a few things that have um, come to the fore. I would say uh, we do have the issue of artificial intelligence and its application and use to do a whole lot of things in the bio arena, uh, produce biological weapons, possibly help to uh, enhance or change organisms, do things genetically. I mean, it's an aid for everything else that we can do anyhow. Um, so, that's that's come up. And but what I would say about that is um, it didn't just pop up last week It or when um, Congress had a hearing about it. AI has been with us for a while and that risk has been with us for a while. So um, really, I wouldn't say things have changed so much about that threat. What has changed is that now we're we're aware of it. Um, the second thing I would say that's on my mind is the use of biological weapons, uh, either for terrorism or for warfare. We have 
no proof that the former Soviet Union destroyed all of their weaponized uh, biological agents. There were tons of smallpox and anthrax and plague that they that they produced and then they buried. They didn't even burn it. Uh, we have evidence that they buried it. Uh, and why we thought that was okay, why we thought, well, diplomatically, we should just let that go. I don't know. Back in the day, I know everybody's doing their best, but um, all that is there. So it's not like we're sitting around waiting for programs to, uh, to, to jump up. They might have destroyed some of it. Let's just, I mean, let's be kind, I guess, or, or realistic. But I don't think they did. And we haven't been led into the laboratories that produced uh, biological weapons before. The State Department is very clear in unclassified reports that Russia and North Korea have offensive, active biological weapons programs, and that there are two other countries, China and Iran, that are like right behind. And the language that's being used now is like, well, we don't have any proof that they ever shut down the old thing from decades ago. Um, that doesn't give any of us any comfort. And I also think that, uh, just one other thing, um, I think that on the issue of biological weapons, I think we would be foolish to think that there are just these four countries in the world that are doing something and nobody else is doing anything. From a policy perspective, from a public health perspective, and frankly, from a like a police perspective, from a law enforcement perspective, when you're trying to uh, get a grasp on the reality of a situation and prepare, um, they usually tell people to multiply by six and or seven and say, okay, this is this is really what you ought to be preparing for. Is that proof? Is it, you know, uh, an exact extrapolation? No, but we should be thinking that there are probably 30 or so, 28 or so uh, countries, not to mention terrorist uh, organizations and domestic violent organizations that are pursuing or making or trying to make or trying to get a hold of biological weapons. I'm really sorry David's not here because he always makes fun of me for being so pessimistic and doom and gloomy. And, you know, the idea that we're actually facing, you know, 30 to 40 countries with interest or active bio programs, I'm sure would bring him to our level. So I'll make sure when he listens, I'll, I'll send him a little, little note on this. Um, say there's no proof. Well, I mean, you know, this is part of the challenge in our world, right? Which is, you, you, do you look at capability? Do you look at intent? Or do you look at worst case? And you know, I'm as I get older, um, which I do every day, because um, even though we're all going to die, it hasn't happened yet. Um, you know, I, I tend to be more sympathetic to what the Pentagon has to do, to what our first responders have to do, because if we're ever caught short, it, they're the ones that are going to be blamed or responsible or feel that they didn't do their jobs. The question is, you know, in the nuclear world, when we look at the worst case, we tend to build up. And that feeds into an arms race dynamic. In the biological world, a lot of what we have to do is be ready for defense and for response and vaccines. And uh, um, uh, as you talked about, not to reveal too much, you know, our ability to actually have uh, protective materials and, you know, the issues on, on uh, being prepared as a society, which, you know, worries me as well. I will say in the defense of people that worked on the former Soviet biological weapons program, um, I was in government in the 1990s. Um, I wasn't volunteering to go dig up uh, Renaissance Island in the RLC where they buried most of this stuff. Some of it was just like better to let a sleeping dog lie. But yes, 
um, you know, the fact that there are those capabilities out there um, uh, should worry us. Um, and in part, I think it's fair to say what we got into in some of our discussions. It's not just about the technology and the evolution of nuclear materials or biological agents. It's the breakdown of norms and the breakdown of international order, which you know, we see in Russia's invasion, we see in Chinese behavior, we see with Hamas in the Middle East, and the concerns that the old norms, biological is horrible, we should never use it. Of course, in the past, we have used it, but we built up norms that those are eroding. And we now have to be much more aware of what these what these dangers are. I, I, I should, oh, go ahead, please. I just would have added just one other thing, and that is military doctrine changes through through the decades as well. What we need to do, the nature of war, the nature of military action, uh, what works, what doesn't, um, those things change too. And just because a while ago it seemed like countries throughout the world said, hey, we don't want bio biological weapons as part of our military doctrine because, you know, we can't really uh, control the, the, the spread, the impact. Um, we're going to have to pay for vaccine or something for our own troops. Just because they said that decades ago doesn't mean they're saying it now and are going to be saying it into uh, into the future. This is just the reality of military doctrine. Yeah, great point. Great point. I mean, this is this is the intersection of where policy people like me come onto the board and, and our ability to have these kind of conversations about okay, the technology, but also the landscape, mm-hmm. military doctrine, relations between countries. I mean, it's um, we. You know, we have this struggle every year where we, we wish we could let people into our conversations. Um, one, because my jokes are awesome. They like, are. You know, it, it, I'm the comic relief on the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientist board, uh, which David also won't believe. Um, but you really do get this incredible depth of knowledge from people all over the world with all these different backgrounds. Um, and um, I learned a lot, right? I mean, I, I don't tell Rachel, I would the editor of the um, CEO of the bulletin, Rachel Bronson, I would pay to be on the board, but of course I don't want her to know that. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) um, we spent a lot of time on uh, we're all going to die radio. And David also spends a lot of time throughout the, uh, the deep state radio talking about AI. And so I want to push you a little bit on this because I'm now having to read a lot more about this. I think the bulletin was pretty early in identifying disruptive technologies, particularly the the potential for artificial intelligence and machine generated learning uh, to affect these issues. Um, But you must get asked this every day. (laughs) Oh my God, you know, is AI going to kill us all? This just makes it incredibly easy for anybody to produce something. How do you, how do you try to level set or ground truth people on that? I mean, um, there's, you know, there's always the upside and downside, but like, do you, do you tell people it's okay (laughs) or that they should be um, um, paralyzed? I mean, how do you communicate with them? Well, I say two things. Uh, First of all, AI did not just wake up today. And it's that we just woke up today to it. It's been around for a while and we've been using it for a while in, in the bio, biology, microbiology arena. We have uh, automated, uh, sorry, automated intelligence, artificial intelligence uh, aids us with so many things. We're not getting rid of it anytime soon. It's too, it's too integral. It's too helpful. Now, I also say what we're talking about now is a good case in which we need to step in and control uh, what's happening. Be aware of what artificial intelligence can do. Uh, 
Um, that's what I think is happening now. So we want to make it so it's not really answering people's questions about how, how would it be best for me to build a biological weapon? How would it be best for me to get a hold of biological agents? The, uh, the AI platforms that our commission has looked at, um, and not in depth or anything, but we've gone around and, and just asked those same questions just to see what would happen uh, after that hearing, the congressional hearing that, that occurred about this. And all of those platforms just say, sorry, can't uh, answer that question. Uh, a human being has intervened and said that this, this could be a security issue. So I'm not that concerned about it. Um, it's not to say that it's not uh, a problem or a risk, but it is to say that it was a risk before, uh, and my emotional reaction to it isn't going to change from what it was before to what it is now. But I think we need to be careful. And I think we need to be, honestly, I think it's kind of like just, it's an extension of cyber security anyway. Um, you know, we started the internet and it kind of went wild and there were no, you know, little lock things on screens or S's to add at the end of HTTP. Uh, we didn't have the screening programs. We didn't have anything. Now we do. Um, this is the nature of our world. We, we discover something and then we put in place some things to, to control it. Do you find that's true? So, you know, I, I don't know what you do at night, Asha. At night, when I'm done with my day job, I think or I sit around thinking of these horrible scenarios, which then inform my next day. So, you know, when I do drift over to the bio world, you know, and I, I read a ton and watch every horrible, you know, science fiction movie that's out there. Okay, not everyone. Justice League is still off my list. Um, <laughs> you know, th there is this um, scenario out there where people will use this combination of machine-generated learning, genetic data, and CRISPRs, right? You know, synthetic DNA um, production capabilities to then produce some horrible agent that will kill only, you know, the president or will kill every Uyghur or will kill everybody who is type O positive. It like, as you look at it and talk, I mean, cause I'm not an AI expert. I know you're a bio expert, but as you talk to the AI experts and look at the science, like how worried are you about those scenarios? Are there other real sort of um, choke points that we should be focused on? I am worried about it. I think that um, it was an issue before when we were trying to examine what the, or figure out what the Chinese are doing with their bio program. You know, we looked and we saw, first of all, they're big into the bioeconomy. It's like one of their top, you know, national priorities. They've invested billions and billions of dollars. And that's what we know from just like the unclassified press releases they've put in, put out. So that means they put in billions and billions of more, uh, we, we believe. Uh, and with that program, people had already been talking about, what they seem to be doing in terms of genetic engineering. And there were these rumors that they were trying to develop weapons that would specifically target the Uyghurs or others that had some sort of genetic marker, as you mentioned, that they could sort of design the weapon to go after or recognize and then do something else. So now we have AI come in, which can only assist with all of this. Um, so yeah, for me too, I sit around and think, okay, well, what is the what is the worst case scenario here? Um, but it's not just that, right? Unfortunately or fortunately, we have all seen Terminator, right? All the Terminator movies, uh, some of which are except except Terminator Four. Like I, you I know, know, I there, there's there are limits to everybody's tolerance. Uh, 
there the one where John Connor is like the enemy or whatever. Come on. <laughs> it does it does, you know, look, there are movies to be made and, and popcorn to be sold, Asha. So. <laughs> I suppose. And I, I watched it like everybody else did. But um because of that movie in particular, we and but there are others too. We worry about AI deciding to do something without our permission. My worst case scenario is that at least as far as AI is concerned. I'm not so concerned about that it's assisting to do something. I'm concerned that it decides in the middle of a battlefield, um, human beings are not responding quickly enough. They're not looking at the whole picture. AI has the whole picture. So AI is going to make a decision to release a biological weapon like that uh, to eliminate an entire group of people that's in combat with a different group of people. That, that is my worst case scenario. But it, there's a comma in there, too. It's that scenario plus that genetic weapon doesn't work the way it was originally intended. Uh, genetically, it goes after more people than were expected. And then it's spreading. And it's infectious and communicable. And it's just now it's all over the world. And now what are we doing about it? One country maybe had the, the, the genetic plan for that. All the rest of us don't. Uh, how are we going to get a hold of that? Because of that AI component, you can't even say, okay, well, we'll just get a hold of the organism and then we'll just, you know, do a little operational warp speed and quickly produce something and then it'll be okay. We'll just respond. We don't know what that's really going to entail. Um I really feel like we need to watch a lot more movies together, Asha, like, you know, yeah. or, or start writing them. Like, that's the other piece. Because, okay. um, I, I, in fact, I know that that book's out there somewhere about the, you know, the AI. It, there is a whole discussion that they, people have in government and outside about AI and this whole question of delegation and automation, right? And um, President Biden uh, just this week said, um, you know, we need to agree with the Chinese that we will never let AI make nuclear decisions for us. Which, of course, leaves out the whole part where machine-generated learning and I, I mean, AI is a loaded term because that suggests somehow it's an artificial, it's, it's a computer program, um, large language models or machine-generated code, but that's already in the nuclear world as well. It's already integrating signal intelligence and uh, satellite information to try to advise and accelerate the support process. So in a way, it's, it's already influencing how leaders behave. And um, over time, either deliberately or through just migration, we're going to see this continue to spread. I think that's just a recognition. And I'm with you on the, you're not going to stop it. It's here. We are already sort of relying on it, um, but trying to find out, are there ways to create barriers? Are there ways to wall off critical technology? Um, I would say the question I get asked the most about nuclear and AI is, can we create an international atomic energy agency for AI and nuclear, right? You know, how do we monitor and control AI? Um, and my answer to that is, you know, you might be able to slow down the spread of chips or, or the computing capacity, and you might be able to put some limits on the data, which feeds and trains these large language models. But, I, you know, you're not going to limit AI because it's already got a corporate entity and it's transnational. Are there things in the bio world where you can see choke points? So let's assume AI is going to continue to spread. And let's assume for a second, as I do, that um, the safeties on the chat bots that we work on can quickly be stripped out by a bad actor, because as I've talked to people, it turns out that's possible. 
What are the capabilities outside of AI in the bio world that you really continue to see as important to regulate and control as we try to manage the threat of biological capabilities? Is it CRISPR machines? Is it growth medium? Is it data? Like where, where are the opportunities there? Well, I think all of those are uh, uh, opportunities, but look, you've heard me say this before, and I will say it again that's many why, times. That's why I asked you. <laughs> CRISPR is old news. CRISPR right. was old news like 10 years ago. Uh, it's just that, you know, it, it's an extremely useful tool, but it's old news. I want to know what's coming after CRISPR. Um, th- the answer to your question is not, I mean, there are probably some choke points and, and issues to do with, uh, with, with CRISPR that we could we could probably identify. You need materials, you need equipment. You're not just going to find that stuff sitting around. You can't buy it on the dark web that I know of. Um, you can't walk in someplace and buy it. It's not, it's not like it's this big, you know, teeny tiny. It's, it's a larger piece of equipment. Um, it requires specialized, you know, expertise and knowledge to be able to utilize it and utilize it well. Um, but what's next? That's what I want to know. And we should be trying to figure out what that is and then answering your question. Okay, so if that if this is what's coming, then what what do we need to identify pre-identify are those those places where we can introduce some controls? And even if it's not a control, at least some awareness of what's happening. So if you look at um, the chemical side uh, and look at the uh, the bombs that have been made with fertilizer, we did not stop everybody from producing or obtaining fertilizer. What we did was we said, let's put in like a knowledge point there so that everybody knows how much is, is moving around at one time. And maybe if it hits a th- certain threshold, there should be an automatic, automated, right? Ping over to the FBI um, just to say, hey, somebody just brought tons of this stuff and it doesn't really look like they need it for their farm because they don't actually own a farm. So go do something about this or don't, but here's the information. I, th- I think we have to, I think we have to do that as well. But looking at the, um, the current situation, I think John, that we do still need expertise. You do still need certain amounts of equipment. You're right. Depending on what it is we're talking about, you need everything from test tubes to media to alcohol and um, uh, test tubes. I, I already said test tubes. Anything you can think of that you might need for a biological experiment. Experiment. The thing is, those things are widely available, and we have been utilizing them in in most countries throughout the world since we were in like junior high and moving forward. So while all those things are true. It, those are the things that you need in order to create a biological weapon. Uh, there, it's a little hard to control all, all of that or even be aware of all of that. I mean, you can go into Etsy and buy, buy um, a flask uh, for your scientist's friend who uses a flower, you know, flower <laughs> base. Nobody's going to be able to track all that stuff, right? So um, this is the reality of it. The other question, though, is what else do you need? Do you need just uh, the assistance of uh, chat GPT uh, and the ability to read at a minimum to be able to produce a biological weapon? I think no. I think you need more more than that. But I don't think you need that much more to be 
screwing around with stuff. Uh, maybe that gets you to a biological weapon, or maybe it gets you to a catastrophe because you've been screwing around with weapons and uh, not weapons organisms. And then they, and then they release that expertise that enough, that amount of expertise does exist. You yeah. don't have to go and get a PhD in bio or immunology or anything else. It exists at a much lower level. People, when you and I were in high school, we're doing stuff like this inside the high school. Um, things have only progressed from there when we're teaching people stuff. Now, I would also say, I'm not here to say, let's not teach uh, advanced biology to junior high and, and senior high kids and in colleges, and etc. The answers to all these problems also lie in that same educational arena. This is the point in the podcast where we take a a brief break and we say to everybody who is not a member, this is an excellent time to become a member. You just go to the dsrnetwork.com, you click on membership, it's $5 a month, and you help us deliver programming like this, which I want to be really clear, you're not going to get anywhere else. You're not going to get experts like this talking about critical issues like this or the incredible volume of programming that we produce here at the DSR Network. We believe we are the number one network for expert perspectives on policy issues that matter. So $5 a month. It's not too much to ask. Just go to the dsrnetwork.com and click on membership. If you are not, however, now a member, you're going to have to go do that before you listen to the rest of the podcast because we're about to enter the members-only portion. So bye-bye for now. If you're a member, stand by. <laughs> 